0: Luke chapter one. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. This has been in our family, I, I think, the most busy Christmas season ever. Is it? Is it kind of like that for you guys? And uh, I'm predicting a very late night tonight, followed by a very early morning tomorrow. Is that kind of how it's going to work out? <laughs> yeah. Every year. Every year. But you know, um, before all of that takes place, I I love that we can come together and we can just take some time and and consider and remember what and who this holiday is really all about. So what I want to do today is I want to read through the Christmas story, highlight some things, and see if maybe there's, there's something that the Lord might want to share with each of us, or maybe some things that maybe we've we've never seen before. So um, uh, each year, as I, I travel through, we read this. We'll highlight a certain something, and we're certainly going to do that today. But um, our story actually begins not two thousand years ago, but our story begins thousands of years ago in the Garden of Eden, when man did some things and was separated from a relationship with God. And God, uh, because God loves man, mankind, because God created us, he, he didn't want that separation to continue. So God promised that he would make it right and he would put it all back together. And so through what you and I would call the Old Testament time and time again, God would talk about this one who was going to come sometime in the future. So for instance, there on your outline, if you have that, about 700 years before Jesus was born, we were given this prophecy about who this would be. And if you've been here for any length of time at at, at Calvary, you're certainly familiar with this church, uh, with this passage. But it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, what's that word? God, an Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace." So we were told that he would be born as a child, a son, but more than a child, more than a son, he would actually be the mighty God and the everlasting father. God would come to the earth as a child, as a man. Well, all Christians, because of that, all Christians believe that Jesus is God and everyone else believes that Jesus is not God. It's the dividing line of everything that is Christian and everything that is not Christian. So another detail that was given we were told who he would be but then we're told how he would arrive. And so again 700 years before Jesus would be born it says this. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold a virgin will be with a child with child and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. So born of a virgin, but he would be called Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel is just a compound word in the original language in Hebrew. And there in your outline, I put it there. It just means with us is God or God with us. He would literally be God with us and he would be born of a virgin. So from that time on, the, the little girls there in, in, in Israel, they wondered, would I be the one? Would I be the one to give birth to this, this one that we would know as the Messiah or, or we would say the Christ? And so in Luke chapter one, as our story begins today, as they waited, in verse 26 of chapter one, it says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And we'll talk about that. To a virgin na- engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So as this takes place, um, Mary is somewhere between, we would guess, 14 to 16 years of age. She could be younger, but she's definitely not older, Uh, but that would be about the window of this time period where this angel shows up where Gabriel shows up. Now, in the Middle East at that time, and certainly even today, uh, there uh, there was no dating. So what would happen, all marriages were arranged. And the way that it would happen would be that families would live close to each other and all the kids would grow up with one another. And this family enjoyed this family and all the kids enjoyed one another. So they'd all sit down and everyone would agree that this would be a good thing. So there's no forced marriage in this. It was just everyone thought this was a good thing. So Mary is engaged to Joseph at this time. Now, the way that it would work in those days when when you got engaged, that last year before you came together and consummated the marriage, you would be considered legally married. So the idea is the guy would live at his house, the girl would live at her house, but in order to end this relationship, it would require a certificate of divorce. So it's in that final year before Mary and Joseph come together that Gabriel shows up and he gives this message. So verse 28, it says, and coming in, he said to her, greetings, favored one. And, and I want you to just pay attention to all the ways that, that Gabriel speaks to Mary, and, and that'll be important as we go. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement. I've always thought it was interesting. She's not perplexed that an angel shows up and begins talking. She's perplexed about what he's saying. I personally would be perplexed that an angel shows up and starts talking to me. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God.'" Remember that. "'And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus.'" And he shall be great and be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob, we would say Israel, forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, what's interesting about that is in the Bible, that's the last thing that God ever says to Mary. That's the last thing that he ever says. So if you skip over to chapter two, go one page over to chapter two, uh, nine months have passed by as uh, we pick up our story. And in chapter two, verse one, it says, now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth, and this was the first census taken while Corinius was governor of Syria. So Caesar wants to take a census. The reason he wants to do that is so that he can tax the people. But it's very interesting when he decides to do this. And we're going to find out that it's probably not an, an, an original idea that he has. So I'm going to pick it up in verse three and it says, and everyone was on his way to register for, for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. So I want to put a map up just to give some perspective here, but nine months have gone by since the angel has appeared to Mary. Everyone has to go to their city of origin. So Joseph, his family is from Bethlehem, but he lives in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth is in the northern part of Israel, and Bethlehem is in the southern part of Israel. It's about 90 miles walk. So Mary is nine months pregnant, and she gets to walk 90 miles over mountains and hills all the way down to Bethlehem. Ladies, do you think Mary is feeling all that favored by God right now? (laughs) Probably not. Probably not. Now, Bethlehem is a tiny village and is probably somewhere between three and five acres in size. It's very, very small. The villages at that time were were much smaller than what, what we might think. Now, God has to get Mary from Nazareth all the way in the northern part of Israel all the way down to Bethlehem in the southern part of Israel. And the reason for that is there's this 700-year-old prophecy given through the prophet Micah. I put it there in your outline. And it says, "But you, Bethlehem, and I won't try to pronounce that next word, though you are little, probably probably about 3 acres among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me one to be ruler in Israel, then it says whose goings forth are from old, how old from everlasting. So he had to be born in Bethlehem, but he's existed from everlasting. So Mary gets to walk all the way from Nazareth in the northern part of Israel, all the way down to Bethlehem in the southern part, so that Caesar Augustus can have a census and tax. Caesar Augustus thinks that this was an original idea. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is that Mary probably would not have gone willingly 90 miles walk in her ninth month of pregnancy had it not been a decree from Caesar. Ladies, does that make sense to you? So, so God realizes he needs to do something to get her down there. And one of the things that we talked about in previous years is, is that sometimes God is working behind the scenes in some very difficult situations that we might be facing in order to get us to just the right place where we need to be. This might not make sense to Mary on this day, but it will later on. But God is doing something behind the scenes. Verse six, it says, while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped, and I've underlined that. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Ma- manger just means feeding trough. It doesn't mean stall or stable. So it's actually a feeding trough. So she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, now when it when it says there's no room for them in the inn, keep in mind this is the Middle East. 2,000 years ago, Bethlehem is a village of about three acres, maybe five acres at the most. They don't have a concept of inns as we would know them. So in those days, in these tiny villages, inns weren't really for travelers who were passing through like you go to a holiday inn. It was mostly for shepherds who'd be watching their fields, uh, watching, watching their sheep out in the field and they'd, they'd realize they need a good night's sleep. So they would bring their sheep in to the inn. The sheep would go into the inn and then the shepherd would sleep at the door and then guard the sheep. So the inn was more like a, like a barn is the idea. So if you've ever seen a movie about that and there's like, you know, well lit and there's people in there having a good time, that's not typically what, what, what that's talking about. And then you notice it says that she wrapped him in cloths. And that tells us something. Um, Typically, that's something that would be done by a midwife. But Mary is the one who has to give birth. And then she wraps him. The idea is that she's going to be very much alone. So last year when we celebrated Christmas Eve, we went through the Christmas story and we talked about it through the lens of Joseph. And one of the things that we mentioned was that if Joseph had to go from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because that's where his ancestors were from, then his entire family, his mom, his dad, his brothers, his sisters, his cousins, and all of that would have to go to the same place. But it appears that Mary and Joseph are not traveling with the rest of the family. They seem to be left out of that. The reason for that is that the angel does not show up to everybody. The angel only shows up to Mary and Joseph. So the the rest of the people are very suspicious and not everybody is embracing the virgin birth story. Well, not only that, in that world, like in our world, if you saw a pregnant woman and she needed help, you'd do anything to help her. So this pregnant woman goes to the inn but nobody's going to help her and make room for her. Apparently her reputation, what they think, has preceded her. So she goes and out into the field, and in that world, uh, anytime a woman would go into labor, any, any woman who would hear it with an earshot, they would drop everything to come and help. But apparently there's something about this woman that when she goes into labor, nobody shows up to help and that's uh, because of the reputation that, that she has. So again, the angel doesn't appear to everyone. Mary is favored. She's blessed of God, but right now she's going through a very difficult time. Well, God always shows up in those difficult times. Sometimes he doesn't change the circumstance right away, but he sends comfort in the circumstance. So verse eight, it says, In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all people, all the people. And we'll come back to verse 10. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. The angel has just said he's Christ the Lord. God has just been born is the idea. For today, uh, verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's a feeding trough. And that's going to be a sign because you don't typically find babies lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Well, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry. They found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. Again, that's a, that's a feeding trough. Now, when they had seen this, they made, known to, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told to them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and they had seen just as the Lord had shown them. So here is this difficult situation. God shows up, brings great comfort into Mary's life in this place. Doesn't change the circumstance, but brings comfort. Um, But I wanted to go back to verse 10 and read verse 10 because there's something there that we might've read and missed over. Be important for us. So in verse 10, The angel says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. The idea is whatever this is, it's for everyone. But I I put that verse there on your outline. I just want to highlight some things that that we might've missed. Uh, It says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. And there's that word there, and we'll talk about that, of great joy, and we'll talk about that word, that will be for all the people. The word there for good news, uh, there on your outline, is the same word for the word gospel. Good news means gospel. So there on your outline, I put that Greek word, it means to announce good news, but especially the gospel. So whenever you see the word gospel, it's that same word. The word gospel just means good news. So you could say, uh, I bring you gospel and, uh, that's certainly there. Uh, but what I love about this, it would be the gospel of great. But that word there is megas from where we get the word that we would say, guess, just guess at it. You won't get it wrong. I promise. What is it? Mega, mega. Everybody say mega. Mega. Okay. So the the mega joy is what he's saying. So what's being proclaimed here is the angel says without doing any distortion to the text, you could translate it this way. And you want to write this down. The angel says, or he announced the gospel of mega joy, the gospel of mega joy. If you're here today and whatever gospel that you received has not brought you mega joy, it could very well be that somebody gave you a gospel that's very different than the one that the angel proclaimed. Because God intended for this gospel to be the gospel of mega joy. Now, if um, you're you're like me, I grew up in the church and uh, we would say, you know, tell us about the gospel. We'd say, oh, it's good news. Heaven is gonna be so great. Just gonna be a joyous experience. But if you were to press a little bit further, I don't think that we would have described this gospel as being something that brought mega joy. The the gospel that I grew up with wasn't really a gospel of mega joy. Uh, It was more of a burden than a blessing. And and I grew up in in an environment where many of my friends would walk away from uh, the gospel that they were given and, and they would say, I can't do it. It's just too hard. I mean, who, who can keep all of that stuff? But then you read it's supposed to be the gospel of mega joy. Well, I can tell you that when I grew up, it wasn't always the gospel of mega joy, but I grew up with the gospel with, and tell me if this was your background, I grew up with a gospel where we always felt that God was just a little bit mad at us, there's probably just, we're going to blow it sometime and he's just going to lower the boom on us. Anybody come from a church background like that? Well, that was part of my background. So when I would talk about the gospel, oh, it's so good. But mega joy, I don't think I could describe it as mega joy. But the gospel that God wanted us to have and the gospel that the angels wanted to proclaim was the gospel of mega joy. Fortunately, in my life, not overnight, But through time, the Lord began to reveal to me the gospel of mega joy. And I want to take just a few moments and just share. I could give a hundred verses. I'm just going to share three. Why this became for me the gospel of mega joy. But I can tell you the gospel that I received growing up really wasn't the gospel uh, that the Bible talks about. It was something else. So, I want to share with you just for a few moments the gospel of mega joy. Are you interested? Yeah. Good. Because um, I'm going to share it anyways. So, so, so I want to give you three verses. And I could give you 100, but just, just three verses. God's speaking, and He says, This, He says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I, I, I want to be your father. I want you to be my children, my, my sons, my daughters. I want you to be my family. I've learned more about God by having kids, becoming a dad, than all of the Bible college, the seminary, all of the books I've ever read. There's just something about when you see that child for the first time, it does something inside of you. Parents, would you say that that's how it works? The the reason you feel that way about your children is because you were created in the image of God. I can tell you when I first saw that child and, uh, you know, those that came after and then continued to come and all of that, um, there was just something inside. And I can tell you, I don't even know that I knew what love was before that until I saw that. And there was something inside of me that said, I will do whatever I have to do to make sure that you're okay, you're safe, you're provided for. I, I want that. And, and I come to realize that's what God is saying here that he wants for us. And, and as, as a parent, I can tell you that I, I want to see my kids do well. I want to take care of them. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not angry with them. I, I, I want to bless their lives. Parents, would you say that that's how it is for you, hopefully? God says, that's how I feel about you. But I grew up with a gospel not the gospel of mega joy. I grew up with the gospel where God was always ready and willing and waiting to lower the boom in my life. And uh, notice this verse. Um, It says that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the the message of reconciliation. God looks on and says, I'm not holding your sins against you. I, I'm not holding your shortcomings against you. That, that's not me. But that was the gospel that I was given. The gospel of mega joy says, <laughs> God says, I'm not holding anything against you. I love you and I want you to be my family. Not only that, God says, I wanna see you do well. Um, parents, let me ask you a question. How many of you, you see your kids and they go and they start to, to make some bad decisions. And, and you, you want to step in and, and help them not make the same dumb decisions that we make. Pa- parents, did we make some dumb, some dumb decisions? And didn't we want to somehow help them not to make those same stupid, dumb decisions? But did they listen? <laughs> not usually, not usually, uh, but we want them to. But God says, I want to see you win. I, I want to give you the gospel of mega joy. So notice what he says. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God says, I want you to do great. I want want to see you do great. And if you come to me, I want to help you. I want to give you as much wisdom as you want. I want to see you do well, just like you want to see your kids do well. As a matter of fact, you get that from being created in his image. I came to understand over time that the gospel that I had received was not the real gospel, but the gospel that God wanted me to have and wants us to have is the gospel of mega joy. Notice verse 20 very quickly. Verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. You know, there's, there's something that happens when people actually experience him. They came there, they experienced him, they saw him, and it resulted in joy and rejoicing in their life. But the gospel that I received growing up wasn't a gospel that caused me to want to rejoice and praise God. It was a gospel that made me very fearful and, and not joyful. I just noticed that when people meet him, they walk away rejoicing. As we close today, here's what I would just want to share is in just a moment, Matthew's going to come up with the band and we're going to continue singing. But if you've embraced a gospel and that gospel has made you want to run from God, somebody has distorted the truth about who God is and what he wants to do in your life, I would encourage you to reject that gospel and come to the gospel of mega joy to a God who really does love you, wants to see you in, is not holding anything against you and just loves you and would love to step in in that relationship. And what I love about this gospel is he didn't even make it hard. You know, the gospel that I received was always very hard to attain. You're always trying to get there. Uh, but the gospel that he gives is a free gift. And he says, if you just invite me in, I will come in. So as we we close this portion of our service tonight, uh, if you've not received the gospel of mega joy, I want to encourage you, receive that gospel. You'll like it a whole lot more than a gospel that makes you want to run from God and always feel like God is mad at you because that's not the God of the Bible. It's not the message that the angels proclaim. Let's pray. Father, we come now and this Christmas, we pray that... that, uh, we would experience and see and understand that the gospel that many of us have received was not the gospel of mega joy. And so we come to you today, and Lord, we say, I want that gospel. I want the gospel of mega joy. And and so we invite you. We say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of everything I've done. Make me part of your family. Give me that mega joy. Give me that experience of knowing you that causes me to walk away, not beaten down, beat up, held down, but that sense that makes me want to praise you because of who you are. And if you invite him in and you invite the God of mega joy to come into your life and save you and become part of his family, then he promises to never leave. this week. If you have a great church, go there. But if you're not attending church somewhere, I encourage you to come back this weekend and every weekend, because here we talk about the gospel of mega joy, and it's a good gospel. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for their hunger for you, their desire to meet with you tonight. We pray, Lord, that you are honored by our presence tonight, and we pray, God, that as we go forward tomorrow and we celebrate everything about this holiday, Lord, that we remember that it's all about you. And because of you, we get to celebrate this way. And we thank you, Jesus, for the gospel of mega joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys.